and welcome to Homespun Wisdom Talks with my neighbour, with myself, Sarah Sharman, and the wonderful Daniel Confino. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Daniel. So nice to see you again. Yeah, oh, actually, it went a bit red. I've got to moderate my voice, I think. Oh, please do. Could be projecting too much. I don't, I've got enough of you in now, my you, ear you, already. You've got us in a very salubrious corner of the building today. I have. We Soci are closer to God. Socially distanced, of course. And that, of course. Well, they say um, cleanliness is godliness, and looking at the surroundings, I'm not sure I would uh, be able to say that about this room. It looks like nobody lives here, really. <laughs> it is currently vacant, but... <laughs> I see. All for the well, best. <laughs> um, this is a... It's rented by um, one of your friends, isn't it? Yes, so currently one of my housemates has not been here during this COVID year and he's still paying rent and we've got a spare room. Yeah, well I think what we were going to talk about today is the difference between ownership and rental and the advantages and disadvantages of both mm. and um, we have a lot of material to get through today, so maybe we should make a, a, a start. Yes, let's crack on. So, have you ever rented? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, when I left university and was at law school, I think we covered this in a previous podcast, I rented a part of a house down in Balham with no ability to pay the rent. Um, although I managed to rustle up the money, I did pay the rent, but um, you know it was just one of those adventurous moves that I took to get away from the parentals. Mm -hmm. And um, I then rented a room with a guy that I'd been very friendly with at university who bought a place in Brixton, fashionable Brixton, back in the late 70s. Oh. And then finally made a first purchase of a small house um, in Rotherhithe, actually. It was a new build, one of the first new builds. I was always quite adventurous about going places where no normal person would go. And so I bought a house in, in Rotherhithe and have owned properties with my wife ever since, until very recently, in fact, when we sold the family house. And I'm now renting again. And it's, um, it's interesting to feel that nervousness again. So when you first rented... How much rent were you paying and what was the process to becoming a tenant? I see. Well, mm -hmm. I can't remember the details, but here's a formula that most people might find helpful. If you And houses in Balham at that time were selling for thirty to £35,000, believe right. it or not. Today, there'd be you know, millions. Um, generally speaking, a landlord wants, let's say, 3 to 5% on the value. So if a place was worth 35000 then um, they would want, um, am I getting the maths right here? A thousand pounds. Okay. A year rent. Oh. And then 30 times that would be the value of the house. So that's that's 3%. You'll have to trust me on the maths. Okay. So it would have been a thousand pounds a year approximately for the rent divided four ways. So I was probably paying 250 pounds a year or five pounds a week. What? <laughs> and you think that, that that's what are you thinking about that? I can't speak. 
What? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Jeez. That, but that, of course, was when five pounds was five pounds. I mean, you know, you could go out for a wild night on the town, have dinner and a show, and taxi there and back, and a bottle of champagne by the bed in case you got lucky. Um, you know, all for a fiver. So you know that that's um, that gives you a reference point. Whoa. Dinner and a show, and possibly a happy end to the evening. Five pounds. <laughs> I may be getting some of the arithmetic wrong, but we are talking late 70s here. Well, and I became a renter when I came down to London for performing arts school. And as I was, so I did the diploma at college. You could either do the diploma or the degree, but as a performer, I thought I don't really need a degree. I'll do the, uh, the other course. So most people on my course were slightly younger than me because you can do that at 16. Those doing the degree do it at 18. So as I was older, I could stay in like independent accommodation. I could rent. Whereas if you were under 18, you had to stay with uh, a living landlady. So I found a room that was available with some second and third year students of the college and it's a very famous property. Sporty Spice used to live there once upon a time. Wow. Do you think they'll ever put a blue plaque up? <laughs> Probably not call her Sporty. You know. One of the Spice Girls. One of the Group. Spice Girls. So uh, this great house on uh, Station Road in Sidcup. And I think my rent there was about 200 and something pounds. And I said to what? my parents. A, a what? A month. A month. Yes, and then you had to pay the deposit, had to get a guarantor, because I was only working part-time, but I was a student. Yep. So to say that I can pay, and if I can't pay, they can come and seek someone else to pay for me. But uh, Someone responsible mm, and of proper means worth taking to court and yes, good for the money, generally. Exactly. So we put my uncle down. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so I was actually in charge of paying my rent because I'm a very responsible person. And I was so rich when I was a student. I worked for a supermarket and had regular income. You're allowed to mention the name. I think it's Asda. It is Asda. You do listen to me, Daniel. <laughs> and, yeah, and Asda is famous for the ka thing where you pat your ass to show the pennies you've saved. Is that not right? That's it. And they did Other asses are available. Other, yes. So I lived there. I just stayed there for one year, then I moved to various other places whilst at college. But nothing was over £250 a month for my rent until I moved closer into London. Mm. And actually, my rent's quite good at the moment. But tips for renting. There was my third year property on Birkbeck Road had nice new carpets put down before we moved in. The what, garden. What colour? Cream, of course. Oatmeal. Exactly. Oatmeal is probably what they call that shade. They put this oatmeal ca carpet I know, I know down. where this is going. Is there a cup of coffee involved? No. Something. Red wine? The estate agents said that they would clear the garden before we moved in because it was a jungle. You couldn't actually get in there. And various other bits. So we lived there for a year. They didn't clear the garden. We cleared it. 
I say we, the royal we, it was mainly my housemate Jen and her boyfriend. They did a great job, etc., etc. We lived there for a year, came to moving out. They did their their get out checks, whatever you call it, and they said all they flagged some points. They're like, oh well, the carpet needs replacing due to stains and wear and tear. I was like, not, not fair wear and tear. Fair wear and tear is accepted. Yeah. So the question is, what does fair mean in in these situations? You know. And I was like, the carpet's perfectly good. Mm. You could get a shampoo machine and spruce it up a bit, but it does not need replacing. No. So we fought that one. They said, all oh, the garden has not been kept. We'll have to charge you a gardening fee. We are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We actually had photos of the garden before and after, so that was good. Always take photos when you move into a property. Yep. Walls, ceilings, doors, appliances. I know it doesn't look good on your photo album, but it is key if you're renting, especially if like they're dodgy estate mm. agents. So they tried to charge us for a gardener. We're like, well, no, because before you couldn't even walk into the garden. Now yeah. you can. Mm. And okay. you, know, you know that they're not going to do the, what they claim with the money. So if you if they did deduct for the new carpet, they'd just do what you said, give it a quick clean a quick, yeah. or not even bother and just pocket the money. Yes. So they were messing with the wrong students because yeah. Jen and myself were up for a fight. Yeah. Because they think, oh, students, we can get them and like keep their deposit. No, they paid us our deposit back. But the, the, the problem, uh, Sarah, and, and I think you and I are... Of, of like mind about mm. all these issues is that for 90 something percent of the population they get away with this they stuff do. and then they you know and if, if they have to end up paying off the small number of people like you and me who make a fuss you know it's still worth their while yeah i mean i think the message here is everybody should be prepared to make a fuss and, and but they need the evidence like you said yeah but look um when i sort of suggested that we talk about ownership versus Rental. Rental. It's, it's not just property that, that I'm thinking of. Cars. Yeah. I mean, phones. I, yes, all sorts of things. I mean, one of the books I read as a young man, which influenced me profoundly in my life, and the other profound influence was my Roman law lecturer at Cambridge University, who's hilarious. We'll, we'll come back to him. But the book I read was a John Steinbeck novel uh, called Tortilla Flat. It's a very thin book, oh. and you you could be forgiven for thinking that it couldn't contain that much wisdom, you know, just from the, the fact it wasn't bulky. What it's about is about a group of lads uh, of Hispanic origin who don't really have jobs. They live a very basic existence uh, in America, uh, and when they need money, they go and shell prawns. I think they're in San Francisco, actually. They go and shell prawns and get paid cash, and, you know, and they're happy. And they get along together and, and life is wonderful. Now, what changes is at one point, one of them gets given three properties by, in a will from his uncle, the old rich uncle right. syndrome. And so suddenly, whereas they've all been leading this... Um, this is a story about you and your brothers again. <laughs> <laughs> they've all been leading this marginal existence, but happy and, you know, and sharing everything. And suddenly one of them gets basically gets rich, filthy rich by comparison and how that affects their relationships and how one of them is able to attract a girlfriend um, and how their relationship breaks down, mm. really. 
and she's seen memorably uh, pretending to use a vacuum cleaner that she's seen to, you know that that motion that that you use sweeping it back. in fact it never worked this was the hilarious thing but oh, yeah. just the the image of her using a vacuum cleaner was enough to incense these friends and um and he realizes at some point in the in the book that I hope this isn't a spoiler for it uh, maybe I shouldn't say too much but there, something happens later in the book when he realizes how damaging this has been when he parts company with all this stuff let's say and they return to what is true about life which is the relationships and the ownership of the property and all that you know wasn't wasn't the thing and and so you start off that that it seeded in me this 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 sense that ownership of stuff right. is dangerous mm. you need to provide house room for it you need to insure it you get upset when it breaks you know and, and increasingly the the miracle of modern technology means you don't need to own things you can just use them when it suits you i mean you're a zip van or zip car is it what's yes. it called zip car person zip car member so just how does that work uh i signed up i don't think i pay anything for the year but i've got membership and if i need access to a car i just select the times that i need it and pay by the hour yeah. or some you can pay by the minute yeah, and so you don't have the, all the hassle of a car sitting outside, depreciating all year, needing insurance, this, that and the other. Exactly. Getting vandalised. And I can always find parking for the car because they'll reserve a bay. Yes, you can always put it back where it belongs. Yeah. Here's a question for you, though. Did you ever wash it before you put it back? No. No. <laughs> There's a lot of academic discussions about why nobody ever washed a rental car. You know, which is supposed to be... You're in a rush to get it back well, on time. Also, <laughs> but there's, nothing, there's no gain unless they... For all I know, Zipcar do give you a tenner if you wash it first. I don't know. Well, That could be a, a, thing, a, a suggestion for them. But generally speaking, if you don't own something, the, mm. the view is that you don't care for it as much. You know, you abuse it. Yes, uh, which is a terrible mindset to have. And I think a lot of home renters have this mentality... They think, oh, well, I don't own the house. So Why should I care for it? So if the oatmeal carpets are dark brown by the time I leave, you know, that's just too bad. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's not my bother. But I am the perfect tenant. I can say that because my landlady has told me on many occasions, I've lived in my property coming on to 10 years. And whenever there's a fault or something's not working or I want to change something, I contact them. They know straight away they'll try and fix it. But if you leave it to the end of your tenancy and they're coming in to check you out, yep. they're like, oh, well, you broke this, you broke that, you broke everything. Yep. And then they're going to charge you for not reporting it and getting it seen to. Mm. But you see, the line behind that thought is the is the irresponsibility of rental. Meaning that if something goes wrong, you, you, you don't fix it. You ring somebody and tell them. Mm. It used to be a famous problem. You know, there was a company called Radio Rentals or Granada Rentals. They rented televisions in the in the old days. I don't know why people rented televisions because I think maybe they went wrong a lot. And mm. you could so people would ring up the helpline or whatever, you know, the, the fault line for Radio Rentals, saying, you know, can you come round and fix my TV? It's not working. And many times, do you know what the problem was? They needed to put a pound in it. No, no, they, they pay. <laughs> no, think of the most basic thing that they didn't, they hadn't got right. 
They had to smack the back of it? No, they hadn't switched it on at the mains. Oh, my god! But, I mean, the, the, but the mentality of a rental arrangement is you don't think, how can I fix this? Mm. You think, who can I ring up and get them to fix this? So it creates this sort of, you know, lack of responsibility or interest in, in something. And this, you know, this is why people like Margaret Thatcher, I think, wanted us all to become a nation of homeowners so that she could manipulate us better. Mm. Um, that's a separate subject. But... Let me just raise another whole subject. I mentioned my Roman law lecturer, didn't I? You did, yeah. So there was Tortilla Flat, the dangers of ownership and the dangers of unequal wealth in your milieu, amongst your friends. You know, if one of you suddenly becomes very wealthy, you know, how that mm. can't be helpful. And I actually had experience of this with one of my friends from university. Mm. Um, we probably shouldn't mention that. It's not a happy story. No. And if he'd read Tortilla Flat, maybe, you know, he would have been prepared but my roman law lecturer uh, mr weir explained to me daniel uh, and the romans were the people that developed the the, the original concepts it's something called a usufruct and you have to be careful <laughs> you have to be careful how you say that oh, yeah. um, but it seems obvious today that but you know basically if you owned an apple tree yeah you could come into an, to an arrangement with me whereby i got the fruits of the tree okay. but you kept the tree right so it would always be your tree but any apples were mine. See, the word fruct in Latin is something to do with fruit. But it became like a rental or lease arrangement. So if you think about it in, in, in any terms, you like there's ownership where, you, you know, mm. um, in the UK, that's called freehold in property terms. Actually, do you know why it's called freehold? Because actually the Queen has the ultimate right. Mm. And then you have a freehold, which is the best right against the Queen. Um, she will basically leave you in peace but she still owns rights above or below you I can't remember which but it's a freehold it's not like ultimate absolute ownership and then there's leasehold rental yeah and, and so forth so there's you know the you have a right to a bare right to occupy or a longer term right to occupy like a lease for many 99 years or you're a freeholder you know forever and unfortunately my Roman law lecturer explained this to me in ways that, that might not be approved by a lot of our listeners. So if you are of a sensitive disposition or you've decided that I'm, you know, maybe quite sexist, um, you could just skip the next 20 seconds. But, I mean, it's quite funny. I mean, he said, for instance, if you take women, okay, you don't necessarily get more enjoyment from a woman the more ownership you have. And I have to remind everybody that men did sort of have ownership type rights over women back in those days so mm. um, you know in simple terms you said look, look there's a prostitute a mistress and a wife yeah that's like um, rental lease ownership he said uh -huh. you don't get more enjoyment as you creep up the ownership scale you don't necessarily get more satisfaction from the wife than the mistress mm. than the prostitute um, if you were switching off, you can come back. <laughs> you can come back now. Um, but it, it really plays to the tortilla flat point, which is yeah. that, you know just owning things. You know, feeling you can put your hands around them and and, um, and control them. You know, isn't necessarily um, always that helpful. No. Um, so yes, I think these days people are increasingly deciding whether they need to own something. Mm. I often wondered why there wasn't a sort of a lawnmower. 
you know, kind of arrangement on his street. I mean, they, you know, people who own lawnmowers, they use them for a couple of hours every, whatever, week, let's say. Yeah, and then they go away for a few months and then yeah. bring a town why, why, why couldn't they just sort of have a lawnmower arrangement in the, in the street? You, you know? can. You can go to HSS or whatever it's called and you can <laughs> hire your... Yeah, but that's all too complicated. And you've got to go down to HSS. The, the beauty of a lawnmower is it's sort of... You can wheel it mostly. Yeah. And so if you had a street like your street... Um, you know, if anyone needed a lawnmower, you could have an arrangement whereby if you need the lawnmower, you can, you know, have some deal going. And then could. not That's everyone... That's if you're good friends with your neighbours. Yes, well, we discussed that previously. We have. But uh, also, renting, whatever you're renting, if you're just borrowing a lawnmower or hiring a car, in the... But not with a car because it's very uh, minimal payments. You are generally paying more in the long run. If you take a phone contract, phone contracts now what twenty four months. Yeah. So you're paying more for what the phone's worth. Yeah. In most cases. But you don't have to pay the upfront stuff, so they they remove that problem if it's a problem. Yes. But generally, I don't buy. I don't get a handset free with my contract. I'm SIM only because I'd rather. Just pay a hundred or two hundred pounds, no need to spend more on a phone, and just have that phone outright instead of like, oh, I've got this 48 pound bill, this 70 pound bill. Pay 20 pounds a month for my SIM, and then I've paid for my phone until it dies. And it's done. Yeah. And <clears> then <throat> also, hire purchase cars. Is that what you call it? Higher. Yeah, there are various ways. I mean, there are, there are two contracts. One is where you you just basically can use the car for like mm. thirty six months, and then you give it back. Yes. And uh, the other one is where there's an amount you can pay at the end of that to own it. Yes. Which is more. It's so much more. I bought a car, in inverted commas, for my mum, on this higher purchase. Yeah. And I don't think I'll be doing that again. Because it just makes no sense, really. So I said to my mum, save your money. And next time you need a new car, you can just buy it outright like we used to do. Yeah. I remember the last car I bought, Jane, she was um, she had fallen in love with this Peugeot 405 Coupe, I think it was. It was designed by Pininfarina. You know, mm. it, was, it was a sleek, beautiful thing. And it was a like a £30,000 car. And actually, she'd had one before when I was... A, um, working for a company that gave me a car, but then right. I left, so were, that car had to go back. Yeah, and um, and I looked around, and there was a demonstration model at a Peugeot dealer. I think it's called the Chinese Garage, somewhere down in South London, and it was like half the price, and it only got a few thousand miles on the clock. Yeah, it was still in perfect condition. So you know, fifteen grand instead of thirty grand. Um, yeah, so you definitely you can do deals like that once you sort of start talking. You know, plans. There's, there's nothing you can do. They just, they just bemuse you with numbers. Yeah, and I'm there's sure a, you can negotiate something. Well, there's a relationship between the the value of something and the day rental of it. Do you, do you know that? No. There should be a relationship between what it costs to day rent something. So, say, like, take your zip van, right? Mm-hmm. Or zip car. How much does it cost you for a day? For a day is probably about thirty or forty pounds. Forty pounds. Yeah. Right. So. That £40 and the value of the van, let's say the van is 20000 mm. Okay. 
Uh, let's make it 16,000. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be 40 times the value, I mean, 400 times um, the value of the day rental, which is a normal relationship. It's normally somewhere around 500 times the day rental is the it was what it would cost you to buy something. Okay. So you can think of it like that. So after 500 days, you would have paid for the ownership of the van. Would it be worth it? I mean, if you're renting here for 30 years, the amount of cash you would have paid would have been enough to own it. You mm. see. But you don't own it. I don't. But you have it. the flexibility. But then I don't pay the whole of the rent myself. No. But I mean, you also have that sort of irresponsibility, which is quite nice. You know, you don't worry about it. I mean, I, I, as I say, I've just moved into a rented place. I'm, I'm very happy with it. And to be fair, I've probably got a bit of money in the bank, so I, you know, I can pay the rent without worrying about it every month. And I know a lot of people in generation rent struggle to pay the rent every month. So I'm yeah, know. because the private landlords are so greedy. Yeah, but it is quite nice that feeling of um, you know something's going wrong. You just call Neil. Mm. You know, Neil. We actually had the fire brigade come round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And Neil had to deal with it. I guess that's the problem of <laughs> living above a museum so your fire safety is yes. connected straight to yes. the fire station. Yes, that, that does make things a bit awkward. So, so, yes, there's a whole debate about ownership versus rental. I mean, there's, you know, you can use an app called Park On My Drive now where you can oh, rent yeah. out your drive. Yeah. And the... Um, the brilliance of the internet is that it allows you to connect with people that have something that you only want for a bit of time. Mm. Because if you had to own everything that you needed to use, you would just surround yourself with so much stuff yeah. that you go mad. And so you really need to stop. I, I think we have we talked about clutter and all that. Previously? Not yet. No. Well, we, maybe we're going to have to get on to that. I think mm -hmm. we did talk about buying stuff when you went down the Ikea marketplace that you don't need because it was cheap and filling your life with nonsense. We have, yes. But is it, this is slightly different. This is about, you know, if, if you need something to use, do you really need to buy it? Uh, or can you borrow it, of course? Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, for instance, tools. I have a very big set of tools. Well, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Um, you know, I've got a very good toolkit. Right. And... and um, if somebody wants a tool to borrow, what do I do? Because people sort of forget, don't they, when they borrow something, to give it back. Yes, you know, they they some, somehow get that. used to having this uh, nice wrench or screwdriver set or, or something. And they, they somehow, you know, go through a little loop of their uh, mind thinking, oh, Daniel doesn't really need this back. Um, then they you you sound it. like you've had similar thoughts. I mean, I generally don't lend anything out anymore because yeah. I've lent things to people and never seen them again yeah so do you know or how they you try can... to claim that it was theirs to start with yes do you, do you know how you can resolve this problem label everything get it engraved get them to sign the item yeah. in and out yeah because that could work but you'd still have to chase them so the better thing is so sure I, I just have this policy by the way that if anyone wants to borrow at all they give me 20 pounds Okay. And I will keep it in the in the box. And when you return the tool, you get your twenty pounds back. Now that tends to have quite an interesting impact on people because suddenly mm. they're, you know, if they were trying to not really, if they were thinking of not returning it, that suddenly they're having to think about the value. Yeah. And it's usually more than the tool is worth. 
So, you know, there's a big incentive to return it. Yeah. A bit like the deposit, you, you're forced to pay on cars and things, you know. That, exactly. That's what forcing... People don't do things out of the love of humanity and the mm. generosity of spirit. And, you know, they, they do things because there's money at stake. Mm. But then, uh, what was I going to say? I borrowed some shears last summer from someone I found on the local Facebook group. And I went round, picked it up, and I said, oh, I'll bring it back in a few hours. And I did. And even if I didn't, she said, oh, there's no rush. I was like, no, 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 I'll bring it back because... Did you sharpen them for you? No, Daniel. They were still in perfect Did, did you oil them? No, no, no. Did you clean the handles? I think I did wipe them because COVID. I had to disinfect. But uh, did, did you, even did if you I did Did you attach a ribbon and, a, and give them a thank you card? Even if I didn't return it, they've got my Facebook profile and they would just shame me. Shame you? Publicly, if I didn't ever return the item, if they were that type of person. I have seen people shame people on Facebook. So shaming is a good way, is it? Well, I guess so. But there are there are some people who are shameless. Mm. I, I think the, the better system is to have that £20 in your toolbox with a yeah. note, and they can get it back any time they like, and if they don't, you can repurchase the tool. I mean, that was, a, that was taught to me a long time ago by a, a serious mechanic who lived near us. And we would always have bikes as kids and no tools. And we would go around there trying to borrow this and that and the other. And he would say, sure, you know, just give me, in those days, probably two Five and pounds. six. <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of money that would hurt, you know, <laughs> that you definitely wanted back. And, it, you know, it was, it was a good idea. It is a good idea. Can and you I, do that for clothes? I've had housemates that would borrow stuff. I mean, you, you know, do you know a loan is basically renting somebody money, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's, here's a thousand pounds. I want it back with um, interest. Yes. And that's good, actually, to take the money because if they don't reper return it in perfect condition. <laughs> thing about money is it's what they call fungible do you know what that means i don't no. it's a lawyerish thing it means one pound is indistinguishable from another pound it's the same unit basically yeah um so um you don't really care how you get it back it's just you want a thousand of them plus interest mm. what were you saying you want so if they return the item and it's yep. no longer functioning or yeah. has yeah. occurred damages they don't get their £20 back. No. Are you talking about my tool? Just the whole concept of yeah. giving this money is a... I think it's a, it's a nice way of, you know, because you're basically they need the tool. You have to assume that they really do need the tool. And you're trying to help them. Mm -hmm. but, you know, yes, you can have the tool. And, and there's no interest, by the way. You know, if you if you return the tool, you get your, all your money back. It's not like you get £19 back. Yeah. Um, so you're not trying to make money out of them. You're just trying to make sure that it's it's an exercise in human um, psychology, really. Yeah. And it's the nicest way to say, I don't really trust you. And if you say that it's your policy, you do it for everyone, Yeah. however trustworthy or untrustworthy they may look, then they don't feel that you've picked on them. If you think, oh, you know, for you, it's going to be 20 quid for mm -hmm. the next... You didn't charge Fred that. He borrowed your, you know, uh, socket set. And apparently, <laughs> apparently you didn't... You know, then, then you start getting into trouble. The British government has a brilliant policy of recognising regimes around the world um, without, in the same way, they use, they use the Daniel Confino principle of the toolbox. So if a regime is in control of a country, they recognise them. They don't, they're not, they're not trying to show they approve of them or disapprove. They're just mm -hmm. saying, well, if you, basically you're in control, we recognise you. Even if you're a foul, totalitarian, murderous bunch of people, we recognise that you're in charge of the country. 
like the Khmer Rouge, for instance, in Cambodia. Do you, does that mean anything to you? No. Nope. Anyway. Um, but the Americans have a system where they withhold recognition and if they don't like you, so they wouldn't have recognised the Khmer Rouge who were murderous thugs. Um, so you, if you just always do the same thing, like the British, yeah. then it doesn't mean... no one. When we recognise a country, it doesn't mean we approve because we have this great, simple policy. It's been like that with with tools, you know. I don't know. You might be you might be trustworthy. You might not, but everyone gets the same deal. That's very good. Treat everyone the same. Okay, so we're coming towards the end of this session. Well, you decided that. <laughs> what are we actually what? telling our listeners here in this rental versus ownership? What, what's the wisdom that yes. they can extract? Exactly. Oh, yes, that's what it's all about, isn't it? So I mentioned get photographic evidence if yes. you're to borrow or rent or have something yep. that you're borrowing long term. I, I, maybe we could link this to your idea of shaming on Facebook. Shame. There's another whole level of photographic evidence you could get to compromise your landlord. Yes. Um, or other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got the, the, the images, you know, then you can... You can. You can certainly this get is a your... summary, Daniel. So summarise, yes. please. Well, ownership ownership carries you know both advantages and disadvantages. The security of ownership, but the pain of ownership, oh. um, and the responsibility of ownership, and the and and the and the the protective uh, uh, change in your personality as you become more asset rich. You start hunching over your things and protecting them. You lose that expansiveness of the freedom. Uh, of being able to walk away from things. You're suddenly fixed by your possessions. You're trapped by your possessions. And of course, one of the biggest markets that's developing is is the big yellow self-storage because people have got so much, excuse the word, crap, mm. that they're having to find a place to store it. You could just sell it. When they don't even use it. So probably the biggest example of the over-ownership because mm. nobody puts rental stuff in big yellow, do they? That I'm aware of. No, no. So but they could just be sitting on easy money. Because <laughs> I rem- I'm quite good at flogging things. And I've, oh yes, I've, I've, <laughs> I've used your services in the past. So I've got rid of my photos though. <laughs> no, I think they're a bit too pricey at the moment. But if anyone's looking for some photographic artwork, some hangings, we've got some lovely pieces. Uh, check out my Instagram. Uh, but instead of paying. To have storage, sell the stuff if it's not being used. You there's burn great, it. there's great places. No, never burn, even or just give it away. Yeah, someone can make use of it. Yep. Yep. So, and 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 if you become too protective of your of your assets and your the things in your life, and too upset if things go wrong, just imagine you know, mm. then um, it, it makes you into a different person. You lose that freedom that charm that expansiveness it's rather rather like tortilla flat i think do you I, feel you found some new freedom going back to renting absolutely absolutely every day i wake up and it's like like a weight off my mind actually um there's a certain concern that one day somebody might say you have to leave okay um which but in, in a way that also is is um something that's not bad to live with it gives you you know okay another decision our daughter in in israel mm was given some really harsh eviction from her place she's been in for seven years that we've been over several times. I did a lot of the DIY on it and it, it was beautiful, you know, and she was given a harsh eviction notice and got incredibly upset. But um, 
here we are two months later and she's in a much better place yeah and very happy much happier so, so you it's know, a blessing in disguise in a way you can see the opportunity in these decisions but if you if, you, if you're so mired in, in in owning and controlling your possessions you, you trap yourself in that world mm. and I think that can be that can be a, a problem too so I think yes you know like my Roman law lecturer said you don't get the maximum enjoyment from the maximum degree of ownership sometimes just a bit of a fling can be much more <laughs> much more satisfying than, than you know the, the, the daily routine yeah. um, oh I shouldn't have said that I'm going to get into trouble for that <laughs> Oh dear, well let's sign off there before you dig yourself a deep hole. Right, well, listeners, thank you for joining us yet again. Hopefully that has been some homespun wisdom for you. If not, I do apologise, but we appreciate you listening. Thank you for joining myself, Sarah Sharman, and Daniel Confino for Homespun Wisdom Talks with My Neighbour. Ciao for now. Bye! Oh, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast.